It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio. Uh, if if anybody wants the most incredible experience, they need to come to Cedar Rapids and be part of this place for a little while because it is probably one of the most fun places. If you can't have a good time here, uh, you just are probably not going to have a good time anywhere. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with me, I'm going to be starting off in Second Peter chapter three. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 3, it's one of those books that was put back to the back after uh, Jerome decided to change the order of the books. We would have been reading these before the writings of Paul or Shaul, but Jerome decided that you know Paul needed to be first and Peter was put out of the end. He says in chapter 3, verse 1 of Second Peter, Dear friends, I am writing you this, this second letter, and in both letters I am trying to arouse you to wholesome thinking by means of reminders, so that you will keep in mind the predictions of the holy prophets and the command given by the Lord and Deliverer through your emissaries. First, understand this. During the last days, scoffers will come, following their own desires and asking, where is the promised coming of his? For our fathers have died, and everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. But wanting so much to be right about this, they overlooked the fact that it was by God's word that long ago there were heavens, there was land which arose out of the water and existed between the waters, and that by means of these things, the world at that time was flooded with water and destroyed. It is by that same word that the present heavens and earth have been preserved and are kept for fire until the day of judgment, when God, ungodly people will be destroyed. I find it very interesting in these verses that he relates the second coming, the return of the Messiah, and a time that people will be saying, where is this promise coming? Since all of our fathers fell asleep, everything has been going on the same as it has for the last 2,000 years. Peter relates this time that people will be saying that to a time that they will be forgetting about the flood and about creation. What are they teaching in today's schools? The flood never happened, and we all evolved from monkeys. They're teaching evolution, which said that God didn't create the heavens and the earth. It was just by happenstance which I believe that it takes more faith to uh, to believe that wind blowing over the back of a frog's wart produced an ear to, than to believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, think about it. It takes a lot of faith to believe that great-great-granddad was a slime pond. But this is what they're teaching today, evolution, and the lack of creation by and by God himself. And in this day, people are saying, where is this promised coming? Everything's been going on just as it has for all these hundreds of years. Why do you think that it's going to change now? Well, that's one question that's being asked today. The other question is this. Could this be the generation that sees the return of the Messiah. Could it be the generation? Two questions. 
Where is this promise coming? Derogatory in nature is there, as far as their questioning? On the other side, a group of people that say, could it be this generation? Acts chapter 1, a story, an account is very familiar to most of us. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can go back and read the context later on if you'd like. The context basically is, is this. I want to lay out a picture for you to those that have not been to Israel. Uh, you're standing there on the Mount of Olives. Across the Kidron Valley from you is the Temple Mount. And when Yeshua was standing there with these disciples, understand that they have put, you know, the last three and a half years of their life into this man. They saw when he was crucified. They saw that he is now resurrected. And he has spent the last 40 days teaching these guys about the Torah. How many would have liked to have been there during that teaching session for 40 days? That would have been good time, right? Well, they're standing there. They're, they're gathered around him. The temple mount is in the distance with the temple still standing. And all of a sudden, these guys are looking intently at Yeshua as he's teaching them. And as he's looking, as they're looking at him, they think, is he getting taller or am I getting shorter? And they start to look up and he starts to, they understand that I'm not getting shorter. He's not getting taller either. He's floating. And all of a sudden they start looking up like this. Doing the same thing you and I would have done. You probably would not have taken your eyes off of him, but you would have just stood there looking up like this. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, the, t- these angels come and they say to the disciples, you disciples, why are you standing here? Looking up into the air? Yeah, actually what they said, if you translate this correctly, it says, Disciples, why are you standing here getting a sunburn on the roof of your mouth? This same Yeshua, who has been taken from you, will come again in like manner. And for the last 2,000 years, this verse has given so much debate from people and has caused so much division There's so many doctrines, so many opinions. I remember that as a young believer, back in the late 80s, I uh, used to watch Trinity Broadcasting Network all the time. And I remember one night, I mean, I was, I was, I probably had not been a believer for more than about a year. I remember one night they came on and, and Paul Crouch was there and they introduced the guest and Paul says, Tonight I have an announcement. I have gathered three people in this room tonight. One of them believes in the pre-tribulation rapture. One of them believes in the mid-tribulation rapture. And one of them believes in the post-tribulation rapture. And I'd like to say that tonight, by the end of this two-hour program, we are going to come to the conclusion of which one of them is right. Now, I hadn't been saved long, but I knew that dog's not going to hunt. You know, we're not going to come to conclusions tonight. Well, I listened to the whole thing and I found out that at the end of the two hours, the guy that believed in the pre-trib when he walked in, believed it more when he walked out. The guy that believed mid-trib, believed it more when he walked out. The guy that believed post-trib, believed it more when he walked out. Exactly what I thought was going to happen. Well. 
A number of months ago on our discussion board, I I posted a, a little teaser just to see where people were. And I said, what do you think about the end times and are we living in them? Now, I think the post is still there. You can probably go down and find it. But there were three posts that were very interesting to me. One of them said, well, we know that there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. The next post said, well, we know that there's going to be a mid-tribulation rapture. And the third post said, we know that there's going to be a post-tribulation rapture. I'd like to say something to you tonight before we go on any farther. And I'm going to say it gently as I can, but I'm going to say it very direct. When it comes to the end times, we know nothing. Okay, we can stop and go home. You don't know anything. Well, I've seen it in... No, you've seen it through your bias. And all of us have it. Every one of us have some kind of a bias in this room. Don't come to me and say, I'd like to give you my unbiased opinion. That is not possible. Because of our upbringing, I still find myself looking at scriptures sometimes. I have this terrible time reading the complete Jewish Bible. You know why? I still read it in King James. Because that's what I memorized many scriptures. And I found just that one that I read earlier about where is this promised coming of his? It has taken me about five months to be able to read that without reading it, looking at it in complete Jewish Bible and reading it in King James. Why? Because that was ingrained in me. And each of us has what was ingrained in us through our upbringing, through our own lifestyle, because of our own personality, all of these things. And it is not possible for us to have an unbiased opinion, even if you're Fox News. That's a, that's a challenging statement to Fox News, I know. But what happens when we start to look at the end times? We allow something to come into our life that we should not allow. As far as this, when it comes to our doctrine, and that is emotion. Now, I, I enjoy emotion. I mean, when, when you guys were singing before we started, Shalom, Shalom, Jerusalem. I, I can't sing that song without picturing myself there, without thinking of what's going on in the land today and how it's in such disarray. But when Messiah finally comes, there will be peace in that land. That's an emotion that's good. But see, when it comes to many of our doctrines, many of the things that we were taught through the years, and all of a sudden those things begin to be shaken up a little bit. We get this emotional wall that comes up. Emotion, remember this, emotion will not lead you to truth. Truth has the ability to lead you into emotion, but emotion will not lead you into truth. Emotion is not evidence of the presence of God. The scripture says the demons believe and they tremble. They have an intellectual faith. They have an emotional faith, but they're not redeemed. You can have all the emotions you want, and it's not God. And it doesn't prove that that is God. 
So when we start to discuss the end times and some of our doctrines start to become a little shaken through the scriptures, let us keep our emotions in check so that we can be led into further truth. Well, you know, the question, of course, when I start to talk about a subject like this is, well, could we be in the generation that sees the return of the Messiah? Y'all look so excited about that. Yeah. Folks, if you don't get it, this is a place that emotion isn't bad. If you don't get excited, how are you going to get somebody else excited? If his first coming was good news, his return should be great news. And if you're not excited, you know, people come, do you know that Messiah is coming? <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, but when you start to get excited about something, excitement is contagious especially when it is backed up by the truth of the Word of God and the events that are happening around us. Could this be the generation that sees the return of the Messiah? Well, people will first of all say, but the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, of that day and hour knows no man. Well, if you go back and look at the context of that verse, it's been taken out of context. But if we understand the Hebraic roots, if we understand who this scripture was given to and written to, we will understand that that was talking about a specific day, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. We will understand that Yeshua was actually giving us a little insight of to what his return would be like. He was saying, you're not going to know the exact moment. In a, just a few days, it will be uh, Rosh Hashanah. When is the new moon going to appear? Nobody knows, do we? But we know the season. Within about a two or three day time period, we know the season that the new moon is going to come, but we don't know the exact moment. And the same thing is true regarding the return of the Messiah. If I say, um, if I, I said to you, uh, Brad, I'm going to call you next weekend. Did I tell him what day it was I was going to call? I I could call Friday night. I'd call Shabbat. I'd call sometime on Sunday. Could I not? He doesn't know exactly when, but because I'm a person of my word, I'm going to call you during that time period. I'm not, not actually going to. But I, I would be telling him, this is the season. And that's exactly what this verse is talking about in context, is we would know the season of these events. If that's not true, then Messiah's discourse to the scribes and Pharisees in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, when he said, with the scribes and Pharisees standing right there in front of him, he said, how is it that you know the weather? How is it you know that, that it's going to rain today, but you don't know who's standing in front of you? See, why is it he would scold this group over here and then tell this group over here they're going to be ignorant? I believe that the scripture says that he doesn't change. Is that not right? We're the one that have changed things. These verses, we need to be putting them back in context. Well, but Paul said, that's one of my favorites, but Paul said, 
I can tell you how to find Paul in the in the in the millennium and eternity. He's going to be the guy. One of these days, I'm going to get a T-shirt because see, I just have this funny feeling that uh, that I'm going to see the return of Messiah. And so, if I do, if I'm right and I see that, then Paul, the apostle Shaul, is going to be with him, right? He's going to be one of those guys coming with him. So, I'd like to have a present for Paul. It's going to be a T-shirt that says, "I didn't say that." <laughs> And that's how you're going to know who it is. Okay. So, but Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, but that day is going to come as a thief in the night. And I've had this quoted to me by so many people. You can't know that day. It's going to come as a thief in the night. But see, they forgot to read the rest of the verse. Because in Bible school, they teach you context, context, and context, and then forgot to read the context. So it says, but you, brethren and sistren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief in the night. So if the return of the Messiah overtakes you as a thief in the night, you weren't part of the right family. That should scare some people. They need to go back and look at the scripture. But many have been wrong through the years. That's, that's right. Many have been wrong. But the fact that people were wrong does not negate the truth that he is going to return. I I love, you know, you start to study this thing out a little bit and you find all these different people that have set these dates through the years. And I'll talk about that more in just a minute. But my favorite one is the Jehovah Witness. These guys have got a pretty cool trip going. Because, see, they set a date. The Messiah was going to be returning in 1914. And then when he didn't, instead of saying, in humility, we were wrong, they said, he did come, but he's hiding. (laughs) And he's been hiding now for almost a hundred years. I mean, that's better than than Dick Cheney right after 9-11. They almost lost him. But here we have this doctrine, these people that have said, we were, instead of just saying they were wrong, I don't think anybody would have blamed them. I know I wouldn't have. I don't blame people for this. But the truth is that though there have been many people that have said Messiah was coming during a certain time and he didn't come, though they were wrong does not negate the fact that he is going to return. And I just have a feeling that we may be part of the generation that sees it. See, I look at the scripture, and today, of course, there are many signs. There are signs today that we didn't have 70, 80 years ago. In our, in my grandparents' time, though they may have talked in that day of the Messiah coming, they had not seen the state of Israel reborn. On, ni- on April, excuse me, on November 29th of 1947, It's when the United Nations did the one thing they've done right. And they signed into law Israel becoming a nation. In the scriptures of Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 through 11, can a nation be born in a day? Yes, the question was answered. And many people the day after that had to burn their books. They had to go back and they had to delete what they had written. 
because they had written things like, well, that scripture doesn't mean that it will be a natural Israel. They had spiritualized everything. And God, on November 29th, 1947, and then further on May 14th of 1948, said, I said, can a nation be born in a day? I meant a nation. And if you would like to look in the Middle East, you will see that it is a natural nation of Israel. I was just there a few months. I can attest to the fact it's still there. I've talked to people that have been there in just the last couple of months, and they have told me it is still there, for God is not a liar. What he said, he will do. We look at Matthew chapter 24 today. Read through there. Wars, rumors of war, famines, earthquakes. Interesting times. Yes, those things have happened in the past. But if you notice that it does, it seems like we never just have a nice little rain shower anymore. I know where I live in Arizona. We know we don't get a rain shower. We got five and a half inches of rain in about two or three hours the other night in Arizona. They didn't get that much in the flood. It seems that the weather patterns and all of this is going on. And I believe that it is a sign that the birth pangs, the times of travail, are coming upon the earth. And we're actually in those times, at least the the beginning of those. We look at the book of Daniel. There's actually people out there that have done some calculations. They've said that the Messiah is going to be returning and it's going to be in just a few years from now. And I'm not going to tell you that I agree or I disagree, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to throw the DVD in the trash yet. That couldn't be because nobody knows the day or the hour. Folks, one of these days, somebody's going to be right. Somebody's going to be right. More about that in a minute. 1947 plus 70 years, a generation, as Matthew chapter 24 talks about. That's 2017. That used to sound like a long time away, didn't it? You notice that time is speeding out of control? Yeah, I know. We had an earthquake, a couple of, the, the one that produced a tsunami a few years ago, and they said that it actually speeded up the earth by so many milliseconds or something. And I don't know if that really had anything to do with it, but somebody has turned this clock really fast lately. You get up in the morning and it's time to go to bed, and you're thinking, how did I possibly get, I didn't get anything done today. Every time that I, I mean, I do a weekly Torah video and a weekly Torah commentary on the internet, and it seems like that the week, you know, Shabbat comes like three or four times a week now. It's just crazy because things are speeding up today. We look at Second Peter, and I talked about that of how God cre- he he lines it out through through the disciple Peter, and he says. Don't be ignorant of this fact that a day with a th- is, is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And Peter is actually just echoing what was in Psalm chapter 90 verse 4. The rabbis have taught for centuries 
that God created the earth in six days. He rested on the seventh day. And he that's a pattern. Out of the book of Psalm, Peter went on to say it. And in the book of Barnabas, that was not canonized, he said it also. That just as this pattern was that God created the, the earth in six days and he rested the seventh day, that there would be a 6,000 year time period that God would work with mankind, then there would be a thousand year eternal Shabbat. I think I've read about the thousand year millennium that goes along with it. Well, I think that, uh, that, that, uh, that six days, I think that was like six time periods. You can think anything you want. And you have that right to. But I just have this, I'm just kind of a simple person. And I just look at the scripture and I say, it says six days. I just believe that six days. Well, a day was different then. Let, let, let's quit playing with scripture. See, in, in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, you know, there are ten, there's not nine. There's that tenth one about the Shabbat, which we're entering into right now. And in that tenth, or in that commandment, of honoring the Shabbat, it says you are to rest six days and then you are to, or excuse me, you are to work six days and you are to rest one day. That was cool. I'm going to make some, I'm just looking forward to this thousand year one, you know. That one excites me, let me tell you. You're to work six days and you're to rest for a day. Well, it's the word day there is the same word as used over in Genesis. So if that's, you know, six million years, then you're to work for six million years, and then you're to take a million years off. Considering that most of us will not live past about 80 or so, that's going to be a hard one to do. And Moses did say, these commandments are not too hard for you. So I just take God's word literally, unless he gives me a very clear definition that I shouldn't. Well, let me get back to a subject here of so many have been wrong. That's right. There have been many people that have been wrong through the years. But as I said, one of these days, somebody may be right. I remember as a, a teenager, it was 1973 or somewhere thereabouts, and I was in a park in Jacksonville, Florida with a bunch of other teenagers. We were doing some things we shouldn't have been doing, but I'm not going into that. And somewhere along the way, and I'm going to use the words of the day, somewhere along the way, I, I did not hang out with church kids much. Um, I went to church, I walked out the door and left that behind. And so I had another group of kids that were a whole lot more fun that I hung out with. And... So I remember sitting in this park and we were all, you know, sitting around and somebody said this. Did you hear that Jesus is coming in 1973 or 74 or something like that? I can't remember the exact date. But everybody started laughing. Except for me. I remember very clearly. I didn't laugh. You know why? Because I had been raised to fear God. And I understood this. If that person who had said that was right, I would not be in the right place after he returned. So I didn't laugh that day. I got, I, I became a believer in 1986. 
in uh, 1988, we were uh, myself and my wife were in Jacksonville, Florida. We were in, we were visiting my mother, and we went to a Christian bookstore. And I remember looking up on the shelf, and there was a, a book there, a little pamphlet that said, "88 Reasons Jesus Is Going to Come in 1988." I looked at that book and thought, you know, I ought to get that. Nah, it's just crazy. I'm not going to get something like that. Yeah, I walked out. But, you know, before we went to the airport, we went back by that store. And I bought a copy of that book. And I was sitting on the airplane, and I'm going, Kathy, look at this, look at this, look at that. I'm just getting excited about this thing, you know. Yes, yes. Well, I remember following it up until Rosh Hashanah, September, I think it was 11, 12, and 13 of 1988. I remember Mr. Edgar Edgar Wisnett who wrote the book as he was maligned by Christian leaders. He was maligned by the media. He was maligned by all these people. And then September 11 came, 12 came, 13 came. I remember standing out in my front yard in Tucson, Arizona going, this would be a good day, you know, because I'm, I'm redeemed now. This would be a good day. And then I remember when he didn't return, or if he did, he's hiding. <laughs> But when he didn't return, and all of a sudden, Mr. Wisnett is really maligned by everybody. I didn't laugh at him. And I don't laugh at him till this day. Many people have been wrong through the years. But if he had been right, there would have been many people that wouldn't have been laughing the day after. So though some have been wrong, if we're wrong, and Messiah does not return in our generation, I'll be glad to say, I was wrong, but I'm still going to die looking. With every breath I have, I'm going to die looking for his return. Well, see, some will say, why this generation? Why not? Why not? And I want to say something to the youth at this moment. I, these guys, a lot of times you don't think they're listening. But I uh, have learned that the youth normally hear, even though they may talk back and forth occasionally, this group doesn't, by the way, much, but um, even though they may be talking once in a while and text each other or whatever, they normally catch more than you and I do. And I want to say something directly to the youth before I go on, because it is possible. As I'm sitting here and I, as I'm standing here, I'm talking about the return of Messiah. You can say to yourself, but you know, I've had dreams of getting married. I've had dreams of having children, of having a family. And you may think for a moment, you know, I just, I know what you're saying, but I just would like it if he would just delay his return until I have a family and I have children and all the, and I can experience these things very directly to just you guys. Don't ever allow the enemy to lie to you and say that you will miss anything. See, there is going to be an honored generation upon the face of the earth. There's going to be an honored generation that sees the return of the Messiah. And within that honored generation will be a group of teenagers and young people that do not get married do not have children, and do not have a family. 
But do you think for a moment that in eternity, all throughout eternity, that you will ever believe for a moment that you missed out on anything? That's not the Messiah that I serve today. In that generation, in those people that give up those things for his return, I just guarantee you today that you will be given much more than you ever would have imagined. And it will never even cross your mind that you gave up something. Why this generation? Why not? I believe there are going to be two great or two honored generation. The first one was the one that was alive when he was here the first time. But probably the more honored of those will be the one that's here when he returns. You ever read the scripture and thought, you know, I just like to, there's some people I just like to meet. Some of these guys in the scripture, I just like to meet them. My son came up to me the other day and he said, Dad, in, in the, in eternity, who do you want to meet? And I said, I got to think about that for a few minutes. So I finally figured out is I, I don't know why I, well, I do know why I want to meet Noah. I just think that Mr. Noah is a cool guy. This this guy is the epitome of persistence to me. You know, God comes to him and says, Noah, it's going to rain. Excuse me, could you define that word? I, I've never been associated with rain. Water is going to fall from the sky. Interesting. Never seen that. Well, because of this, Noah, I'd like you to build a boat. Okay, that's reasonable. I'd like you to put two of every animal in it. Well, seven of some, actually. But here's the dimensions that I want you to build it. And it's like, you know, a hundred and something feet long. This thing's a little bit larger than a football field. This thing's huge, you know. This is not your typical little dinghy to go out in. This is a big boat. And if we look back at it, when Mr. Noah got the instructions from God, he didn't have any children. It's just him and Mrs. Noah. I want to meet her, too, because I think she's probably had a pretty tough life going through this thing. But can you imagine Noah? He's been given the instructions, the blueprints for the ark. And he goes, he doesn't have any children. See, later on, you know why they called it gopher wood? Because he'd tell Ham, Sham, and Japheth, gopher wood. Because it took a lot. I had to do it, brother. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I just imagine, you know, Mr. Noah gets the plans out here and he goes over and he gets, he cuts down a board or he cuts a tree down without the use of a power tool. He didn't even know Brad. (laughs) You know, Noah didn't have duct tape, didn't have PVC pipe. How in the world did he get this thing done? (coughs) Well, that's true. He might have. But you know, he goes and cuts his tree down and he gets his board and he brings his board back and he He's looking at that board and he looks at the plans, he looks at the board, looks at the plans, looks at the board and goes, this is going to take a while. He never gave up. This man is the epitome to me, persistence in the scriptures. And I believe he was an honored generation. Those that walked with Messiah were an honored generation. But can you imagine people coming up to you in the millennium and saying, Lisa, can you tell me again, where were you when he came? How many of you know where you were on September 11? 
You know what you were doing on September 11. Don't you believe that all through eternity, if you're one that sees his return, you will always know the events you have walked through and where you were standing, the direction you were looking, and every detail when you saw his return. And there will be people come up to you in eternity and ask you, could you tell me that story just one more time about how you made it through and you saw his return? It brings me to another subject. For there be people that say, well, Mike, we don't need to deal with all these things that you're talking about because I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I told you that for some, I'm going to kind of step on some doctrines tonight. I got to tell you, I'm stepping on my own because I was brought up believing in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you still believe in that, let me say something to you very gently right now. You come here tonight, you're sitting here, give me the benefit of the doubt and just listen to me for a few minutes. Don't turn me off. Don't shut me down right now as I did with some people a number of years ago. At least hear me out on the subject. Because see, I believe, I used to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But I have to tell you that it started to unravel for me a number of years ago. It unraveled for me, first of all, not from Scripture, but from a lady that I hold as a hero of the faith. Her name is Corey Tinboom. I had the incredible experience a number of years ago of going to Holland and to Corey's house and actually standing in the hiding place. I'll never forget that day of my life. I remember a number of years ago, though, I heard a statement that Corey made that went like this. How dare you have a doctrine that takes you out of the world when the world will need you the most? I got mad when I heard that. Yeah, I love Corey. I loved her teaching. I've studied her life. But when I heard that statement, I got mad because I allowed my emotion to get in the way of leading me to truth. But I couldn't get away from it. And so I started to look at some other things and I started to, I, I did a Google search and I, I challenge you to do this. Go to Google or whatever search engine you use and type in origin of the pre-tribulation rapture. I think you'll find some very interesting statements in the articles that's written about how young that doctrine is and how that doctrine was actually used as the seed to bring us to the place of what is now replacement theology. Hmm. I started to look at that. I started to learn later on about Ezekiel chapter 37 of the house of Ephraim and the house of Judah. I started to see scripture in a little different light. And as I did, I started to look at the Torah as my foundation and start reading the Bible from the foundation of the front and then reading the other to the end instead of seeing the end as the foundation and going the opposite way. And when I did, I started to see things like in Revelation when it says the seven churches. And they say, well, after Revelation chapter 4, the church is no longer mentioned. That's because the church is an English word. It's a man-made word. 
It's a document, the book of Revelation, I believe was written in Hebrew, or at least Aramaic. And they would have used a word in there for, which was translated later into Greek, ekklesia, ekklesia, however you want to pronounce it, I don't know. But they translated a word into Greek, which was the word from Hebrew, kahal, which is the same word that goes all the way back to Mount Sinai. The original church, or assembly of believers. I started to look at that and see that this is one book to one family, to one group of people. And I don't have time to go into that whole teaching. I have a, a CD series on it. But I started to see how some of my doctrines had been at least, I, I needed to challenge what people had told me because I had been taught wrong. And I had been taught mistranslations of Scripture. I started to see how in Matthew chapter 24, when it talked about Noah, that this whole series left behind is based upon a mistranslation, a misreading of Scripture. Go back and read Matthew chapter 24 on your own, and what you'll find out is that the unrighteous are taken away, and the righteous are left behind. A whole series that they've, they've made millions on through the years. Why? Because we normally do not read the Bible. Most of us, after you read it through the first time, we no longer read it anymore. We just look at the words. And we read, we go through it and just skim through it and don't allow our doctrines to be changed. Well, I read that one and found out that it's the other people that are left behind, for we will inherit the earth. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when He returns, He's going to be here, so why would I want to be anywhere else? That's a question that most people can't answer today because we haven't thought through those things. I started to see these different, these different, a different way of looking at it. You ask, well, do you still believe in 1 Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians about the last trumpet and the, the, the changing and the twinkling of the eye and, and, and being caught up together in the clouds? Do I believe that? Yes, I believe that. In fact, I believe that more today than I've ever believed in in my life. All I've done is taken that event and moved it seven years this way. I still believe we shall be changed. Hallelujah. I still believe it will be in the twinkling of the eye and we will be caught up together with Him to go to a new home, our inheritance in the land of Israel as He sets up His millennial kingdom in the land and in the next temple. I believe all of those things. I've just moved it seven years over to the side. You say, well, what if you're wrong? What if I am wrong today? I am willing to be wrong. What if I am wrong today and I have been deceived by this teaching and there's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture and I don't need to, to deal with the tribulation at all? What if I'm wrong? I'd like to say to you, I have nothing to lose. I have absolutely nothing to lose. One old Pentecostal preacher used to put it this way, I would rather prepare for the tribulation 
and be surprised by the rapture, then prepare for the rapture and be surprised by the tribulation. See, what if Corey Tinboom had said, well, we don't need to do all these things. We're going to be raptured out of here. And she'd have never gone through with the hiding place and saving people in that day. I had a friend of mine years ago that when he became a believer, somebody started talking to him about this pre-tribulation thing. And he said to them, if there's a pre-tribulation rapture, I'm going to ask God right now that he leave me behind. I got mad at that one too. I said, what in the world are you talking about? He says, I have a whole eternity with God, but I have seven years that I can make a difference in people's lives. He said, I'll miss the seven-year party if I can stay and help people and lead them to Messiah through it. You know, I didn't have a lot of argument when he said that. I found out that I had to challenge my own way of thinking that maybe my doctrine had been very self-centered. But still today we hear this doctrine being espoused by many people on the pre-tribulation rapture. In fact, there's a new word on the internet came out uh, just a few months ago. It's the anti-rapturists. Uh, it's not in Webster's yet, but it's on the internet. It's the anti-rapturists, and it, it's this, that if you don't believe in the rapture, you're not going to go. Could you can find me a proof text on this, please? If you don't believe in the rapture, you're not going to go. You know, I have a little problem with statements like that. Because they may say that there's a verse that says something like this, and I'll, I'll quote this actually a little bit later, but those that love his appearing. Folks, I love his, I love looking for his return as much as anybody believe, that believes in the rapture. I just have a different way of looking at how to get to his return and how we may be of some need upon this earth between now and then. And if they're right, it's okay. I have nothing to lose, really, in the end. Well, I do want to spend a few more moments on that subject. Because it's going to be one that you're going to continue to hear more about because there are many people today, good teachers. I could name them. I'm not going to. But there are good teachers out there on television and radio that are talking about the pre-tribulation rapture. And you know, I love some of these men and some of these women and, and I, I don't fault them because I've been right where they were. But I'd like you to, I'd like you to look at things a little different tonight just for a moment and understand that there is a, besides the doctrinal issue, there is a problem here. And that is dealing with our Jewish brothers and sisters. When I was in Israel the last time, I had a chance to talk to an Orthodox friend of mine. And we started to discuss this whole idea of the pre-tribulation rapture. He's not a believer in Messiah, but he, he knows the scripture better than most of us in this room do. And he, he started telling me, he said, Mike, right now in Jerusalem, there are meetings going on to discuss these leaders that you're talking, that we're talking about right now and their pre-tribulation rapture theory because of history. 
and said, tell me more about this. He said, you know as well as I do because you've taught it that through the last 2,000 years, every time history records that every time we as Jews became friends with Christians, we ended up dying. Now, I know that those people were not really believers in Messiah, but history records the Inquisition, the Crusades, the pogroms, and many other things. And every time through history that the Jews have allowed themselves to befriend the Christian, what has happened is they've either died or have been forced to convert to Christianity. He said, and we're having meetings today because of Christian Zionists that are coming and are espousing this pre-tribulation doctrine. I'd like to, for a moment, boil the pre-tribulation doctrine down, take all the water out, and let's just get to the meat and potatoes of this thing. Here's what the pre-tribulation doctrine says. Number one, there's going to become a time, there's going to be a time that the church and Christians are going to be so good that they're going to be taken out of the world. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but that takes a lot of faith to believe that the church is going to be so good that God's going to say, I just got to get you up here with me. That takes a little bit of faith. But that's the doctrine. We're going to become so good that God's going to take us out of here so that he can beat up on the Jews for seven years. And during that seven-year time period that we're having a party up in heaven with him, God's going to be beaten up on the Jews for denying the Messiah. And what's going to happen is about a third to a half of them are going to die, and then the rest of them are going to convert to Christianity when the Messiah returns with all of us. Doesn't that kind of sound like what they've seen in history? And they're saying, should we really embrace these Christian Zionists today? Because history records that in the end, we either die or convert, and this is their own doctrine out of their own pulpits. In the end, we die or we convert, one of the two. So I looked at this friend of mine in Israel who has probably met more Christians than you have. And I looked at him straight in the face and I said to him, I want you to understand something. I do not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I do not teach the pre-tribulation rapture. I said, I believe that God has one family. I believe, yes, that the Messiah has come in the person of Yeshua and he will return again. I believe that. You know that. We have a difference here on that. But setting that aside for just a moment, God has one family, a family of faith. He has one set of instructions to that family, and it's called the Torah. And I said, if there is a tribulation coming for you to walk through, I will walk through it with you side by side. He looked at me, tears started to well up in the corner of his, of his eyes. And he said, Mike, you know that I've met a lot of Christians through my years. He said, but 
I've never had anyone tell me the words you have just said. That you will be with me. And our relationship from that moment on has changed. It's no longer what it used to be. Because I had the boldness to stand there and say we're one family. We're going through this thing together. Because see, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of Judah's trouble. If you understand the teaching of the two kingdoms coming back together, what is Jacob's trouble all about? It's about us putting down our differences and accepting that God knows some things that we don't know. Accepting that we've been wrong in a number of things and we need to put that away. Many of the Jewish people saying we've been wrong and putting that away. And the family coming back together as one. See, when Jacob, when he left the first time, he went out and he said, God, you're not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob yet. Go back and read the story in Genesis. He said, you're the God of Abraham and Isaac. But he said, I'm going to leave this place for a while. And he said, I'm going to go out. And if, if you take care of me, if you give me food and clothing, then when I come back here, I'll give you a tenth of all that I have, and you'll now be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, I'd say that uh, what Jacob came back with, the wealth of 12 children, you know, all this, the 12 tribes and a couple of wives and concubines, I still don't understand that one. But I'd say Jacob did pretty good when he came back. But it was through some trial. See, Laban wasn't a picnic. It was through some trial that brought that family together in the end. And the same thing will probably be true for each of us. The tribulation is going to be a difficult time, but it's probably going to be a time that Ephraim and Judah finally decide that we need each other. That the Gentiles decide that we need the Jewish people, and they decide that they need us. You know, when trouble comes, it's amazing how all the petty stuff just goes away. Well, how do we move from this point on? First of all, you need to understand who you are. Yeshua said, fear not. He said, fear not. And that's going to be something that you will hear me throughout this series say over and over again. That we are not to walk in fear, for He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. We should not walk in fear. I mean, if anybody was to walk in fear, it would have been John on the Isle of Patmos. Not only did he hear about the tribulation, he actually saw these things in a vision, standing there watching the flesh of somebody as it melted from somebody's bones before their bones even knew it. If anybody had a reason to be fearful and scared, it was John on the Isle of Patmos. And what does he say at the end? Come quickly, Adonai, Yeshua. It didn't scare him. In fact, he said, bring it on. You know, I think in a way that should be our, our response to this whole thing. There's going to be a generation that sees the tribulation. There's going to be a, a generation that sees that the end of it is going to be the return of the Messiah. Our response should be, let's go. Let's do it. I don't know about you, but I'll watch the news many times. And I'll look at my wife and I say, 
I just like, let's just get it on. Let's, let's go. Let's roll. And the, the words that were reported from, who was it? The guy on the, the airplane. Let's roll. Let's do it. Let's get this thing moving. Because the end is the return of the Messiah. I was on the road one time. It was during the Lebanon war. What was it last year, year before last? Kathy was home and her and Daniel were watching the news. And it, they were watching the Qassam rocket, rockets come in. And I know many of us heard those rockets over IFBN radio live. And Daniel looked at Kathy and she said, he said, Mom, is the Messiah coming soon? And she said, yes, son, I believe that he is. And he said, well, are there going to be difficult times? He's 12 years old. Are there going to be difficult times between now and then? And she said, yes, Daniel, there's going to be difficult times. And he looked at Kathy and he said, Mom, is Dad going to be here? Now, that's a legit question in my house because I travel, as most of you know, a lot. And so he said, is Dad going to be here? And she said, what do you mean, Daniel? And he said, is dad going to be alive during that time and be here? Kathy looked at Daniel and said, yes, I believe dad will be alive and I believe that dad will be here. He said some words that I'll never forget. He said, that's good because I believe that I'm going to need him here to lead me through it. I believe I'm going to need him here to lead me through it. You know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I've lived a good life. I just wish that God had just kind of put off that tribulation stuff for just a little while longer so that I don't have to deal with it. How selfish. How selfish can we be? For what father what true father or mother would look at their children and say, you know, I just wish that uh, God had put it off so I can have a nice life here and you can go through the tribulation without me. That's not the heart of a true father and that's not the heart of my father. For I can guarantee you, little flock, he will be with us through every step along the way. I was sitting out on the porch the other night and Daniel said to me, Dad, what if you're wrong? I said, well, son, I can be wrong. I have been. He said, but why do you ask? He said, because I was wondering the other day, if you are wrong and Messiah does not come in your generation and the tribulation is not in your generation, but it starts after you're gone, how will I Lead my children through. I said, you watch me. I said, you watch me and you watch what we're doing today. And I'm going to train you so if he doesn't come in my lifetime, you'll be able to lead your children through. Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. 
God is not going to forsake anyone during that time. But I believe that we, there's some things that we can do today to prepare ourselves so that we're ready to walk through a difficult time upon the face of this earth. For see, I, I just, I like to see things through to the end. I just cannot imagine walking through this time of tribulation and getting to six years, 363 days, and being taken out and miss greatest event ever. See, I want to be prepared as best I can. I know that the Scripture says in the book of Revelation that some people will lose their very heads for their testimony of Yeshua and their obedience to the Torah. Name for me two religions that have beheaded people in the past. Islam and Catholicism. And today we see those two religions coming back and getting in the same bed again. At least the sheets are being pulled down. There will be people that don't make it. But if there's any way possible, I want to be one that sees the last day. I want to look up there and I want to see that sky split. And I want to see him as he returns. I'm getting you a little excited now, aren't you? You're moving along. You're starting to get a vision of this thing. I don't want to be taken out a day ahead of schedule. I want to see it all the way through. Because I want to be able to tell people in the millennium, what it was like when he returned. I don't want to have to go and get it from somebody second hand. How do we do it? We need to prepare ourselves, first of all, spiritually. And this means that we need to be people that have the foundation of the Torah in our lives. We're coming to another Torah cycle. If you have not followed the Torah cycle, you need to start it. If you haven't read the Torah, you need to read it. If you're not living the Torah, you need to begin to live it before you leave this place tonight. It is the foundation of the Scripture. Looking at the Scripture as, this, as the Torah is the foundation, and everything else is built upon that, which will provide the spiritual discernment that we may walk through the days ahead. We need to prepare by understanding that this Word is our guideline. And if we understand, if we understand this book, it will give us everything we need to know to make it through whatever situation. And I said, if we understand it. That's why we're here today. That's why we're here on this weekend. That's why we come every Shabbat. That's why we, we spend time in the Word of God so that we can know it. Folks, when I came to Messiah in 1986, I decided I need to read the Word of God because I had not read the Word of God and my life would have been kind of a mess. So I figured if I had lived life by my instructions and had messed up, maybe if I started to live by God's instructions, things would go a little better. That's before I knew the word Torah and what it meant. There's some of you in this room that have never read this book from cover to cover. You better make that a priority of your life. You better make it a priority. And do not start with the book of John. What other book do you start in the middle? Or the end? Two-thirds of the way through. Start with the book of Genesis. Well, I don't know that all that begot stuff. I can't pronounce those words. I just skip over it. Quit skipping over the word of God. I don't understand it. That's okay. 
But as a computer, as Dylan can tell you, you can't take something out of a computer that you haven't put in. So you start reading the Word of God so you can have spiritual discernment. We need to be prepared emotionally. In America, we are basket cases when it comes to emotions. America is, is just is, is a mess. Europe, I travel over there, the same thing. Remember this, I'll quote this a couple of times during the weekend. When it comes to preparedness, when it comes to surviving through a situation, and I know when I say that word survival, some of you are going, survival. Well, the opposite of survival is death. So I'd rather be a survivalist than I would the other side, right? So it's not a bad word. But in survival situations, it's not what's in your pack that matters. It's not what's in your head that matters. It's what's in your heart. It's what's in your heart that will get you through. And that's what we're going to talk about first thing tomorrow morning. We need to prepare spiritually first, emotionally second, and physically third. If, if we are emotional messes and wrecks today, what are we physically? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that too. Before we get done tomorrow, I'm going to pretty much hit everybody in the room, including myself. So just get used to it. Because this is not a day to beat around the bush. This is not a day to try to sugarcoat things. But this is a day to look directly at our brothers and sisters and say, we all need to make some changes because of what's ahead. Because if we do not make changes, we will not be good to anybody in that day. What if I'm wrong? First John. First John chapter three. First John chapter three says this, starting in verse three. And everyone who has this hope in him continues purifying himself since God is pure. Isn't that something? Looking for the return of the Messiah is a purifying force in our lives. The word hope there is tied to the word mikvah, immersion, baptism. He who has been immersed in him has this hope, has this purifying. That's what water is, right? When we are immersed in him, it causes us to keep an eye on what's going on around us and to see that his return is near. And that's a purifying force. If I could, without a doubt in the world, tell you that Messiah will return before tomorrow morning, the sun coming up. I would imagine that there would be many people go home tonight and wouldn't sleep. But you would spend the night on your face before God. Well, I can't tell you exactly when he's going to return. But I can tell you that same purifying fear should be what we walk in. A reverent fear should be what we walk in on a daily basis. because. His return is very near. Hey, it may not, it may not be his return, but none of us in this room have the assurance of waking up tomorrow morning, do we? 
We don't have the assurance of going to bed tonight. We could meet him before we have that opportunity to spend a night on our face. He who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. With what I've given you tonight, I'd like to tell you that I will not meet you at the back of the room at the table tonight and argue doctrine with you. We won't stand there and I don't mind, I don't mind discussing things. But I will not stand there and you give me your verse and I give you my verse and we go back and forth and the conversation gets louder and louder as we go and nobody is going to learn anything. I'm not going to do it. If you totally disagree with me today regarding everything that I have said, I still love you. I think you're wrong, but I love you. But no matter what you say, this is what I'm going to teach today. Because I understand the scriptures that in Yaakov that say, let not many of you become teachers, because you will receive a greater judgment. See, in eternity, when we walk into the throne room of God, we will walk in alone. We won't walk in as husband and wife. We won't walk in as, well, let me bring my friend with me. We're just going to be face to face, one on one. And in that day, I will give an account for everything I have said tonight. And you will give an account for everything you have heard. But my judgment will be greater because I'm the one teaching it. And so I understand that when you, when, when I stand before God, I'll stand there alone. Nobody else will be in the audience at that moment. And I'm going to teach it like this. For see, I've come to the conclusion that I would rather have a thousand people come up to me after the rapture has happened and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'd rather have a thousand people come up to me and say, see, Mike, I told you so. You didn't have to be concerned about all that preparedness stuff because we were just raptured out of here. I told you so. I'd rather have a thousand people come up to me and say that than for me to go to one person during the time of the tribulation and say, I told you so. If you'd have listened, we wouldn't be having some of the problems that we're having today in this community because you would have been prepared. You see, the difference is that if I'm wrong, there would be a thousand people that came to me. <laughs> but if I'm right, I pray I'd never say that to you because I, I just pray I wouldn't, that I'd never say that. So what we're going to do in the rest of this time that we have and on the DVD series is we're going to walk through this of how do we prepare ourselves spiritually? How do we prepare ourselves emotionally? And how do we prepare ourselves physically for the days to come, so that we do not come up one day short. But it would be a great desire of mine. I mean, I, I just, here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I can just imagine what it would be to be with this group when he comes. <laughs> I can just imagine what this group would be like to be around when the Messiah returns. It would be an incredible time. So why don't we Take some time 
now that we have it. And let's plan. Let's prepare ourselves. And let's prepare ourselves in such a way that we will walk through and see his return if it actually is in our lifetime. Messianic Radio for a spiritually hungry world. Speak to the rock. Get answers for your life. Find out what's missing in your Bible and why. Solace Radio. Changing lives one heart at a time.